Anybody else here fascinated by bridges? Anybody? Okay, not many, that's great. I love a good bridge. I love a good bridge. Um, now, I can understand if some of you might be a little, you know, uh, nervous about bridges, depending on the gap that you have to go across, depending on how the bridge is constructed. You know, I don't, I don't really like a good old rope bridge. Those aren't fun. And, you know, depending on what you're crossing over. Uh, you know, I love a good bridge, but all those things can, can, can be slightly intimidating. Bridges can be intimidating. But as a father of three, there's something about bridges that makes a child light up. Our family has the opportunity to go to St. Simon's uh, Epworth throughout the year. In fact, as I said earlier, we've got a, um, a few of our kids from the church going this week to Epworth uh, by the sea. St. Simon's and one of our own's going. Uh, but if you've ever driven down to St. Simon's, you know there's a couple of bridges that you got to go over uh, from Brunswick to the island. you got to go over those bridges to get to the island, obviously. You also know, if you've been down to Brunswick and St. Simon's, that Jekyll Island is right there as well, right? Some of you, geography, you know. And there is quite a bridge that you have to cross from Brunswick to get to Jekyll that doesn't compare with those bridges that you have to cross to get over to St. Simon's. In fact, every time we go to St. Simon's, we have a certain five-year-old that wants us desperately to take a detour across that bridge, uh, just, just to cross the bridge. That's it. That's all he wants to do. Sometimes we've done it. That bridge is named the Sydney Lanier Bridge, for those of you who didn't know that. It is the largest cable sub suspension bridge in the state. Uh, and it is so tall to allow those cargo ships to come in and out of the port. Nice picture there. Um, I'm telling you what, though, even for this guy who loves a good bridge, it kind of takes my breath away when you cross over this bridge. It is a tall bridge. But as is the case for getting onto the island like St. Simon's or, or Jekyll, bridges are necessary. You have to have a bridge in order to drive, at least drive, on the island. And so in fear of making the understatement of the year, bridges help us get from one side to the other, right? Understatement of the year, I know. Bridges help us to get from one side to the other. They help us get over impassable obstacles. Impassable obstacles. This morning, we're sort of crossing a bridge in our series on binge reading the Bible. We're going from the Old Testament into the New Testament as we take a look at the Gospels. To give you a refresher, to get some of you, others of you caught up, we've been looking at, at different parts of, of what make up the Scriptures. We understand that the Bible is not just one, one big book, but it is one book made up of 66 different books written by over 40 authors, all inspired by God. We realize that those 66 books are, are written for different reasons and, and in different styles. Some of them are letters, as, as I've said, and, and some of them are poetry and prayers and hymns and stories, law, covenants, all kinds. We started with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the beginning of our story. Our creation, 
our fall, our redemption, God handing out the law, God making a covenant with us. Then we move to the historical books. This is the story of the judges and the kings, the formation of the country of Israel, the destruction of Israel, the exile of Israel, and the return to Israel. We then looked at the wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are God's wisdom given to us on various topics of life. Last week we looked at the prophets and how they were all God's special messengers sent to wake up God's people from their sin and their disobedience. It was God's way of giving his people a second chance to turn back to him. We didn't talk about this last week, but these prophets also spoke of a Savior. They spoke of a Messiah. They spoke about God sending someone to rescue God's people from their sin and their disobedience. The Savior would establish a new covenant with God and humanity. He would serve as a bridge between us and God. And so we come to the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of you are like, duh. Some of you are like, oh. They are the first four books of the New Testament. And they tell the story of of Jesus' life on earth. They tell of his, his life, his relationships, his ministry while on earth, up until his death and resurrection. Now, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will notice that they are very similar. They tell a lot of the same stories of Jesus and have a lot of the same teachings of Jesus. You also notice that those three are very different than John. These three are often referred to as the synoptic synoptic gospels. Dry mouth. Due to their similar synopsis or summary of the life of Christ. It's widely believed that Mark was written first. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. And Matthew and Luke are written next, and it's believed that they wrote their Gospels with Mark's Gospel as the source material, which explains why a lot of them, uh, those three, are very similar. Then John's Gospel was, was believed to have written last. Now, here's what you could do. You could look at the Gospels, and you could focus on the differences. You could especially focus on the difference between the synoptics and John. You could also focus on the difference in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You could do that. I instead focus on the similarities. These four Gospels are remarkably similar. And I personally view the differences like I would any eyewitness account. When we all see things from our own point of view, and we see things so differently, we, all, we remember the things differently. We remember the same event differently based on our own point of view. And despite that fact, these four Gospels written by four different people tell a very similar story. It's a story of how God sent Jesus as the Messiah to save the world, to save us from our sin. God sent Jesus to teach us how to live, to show us how to live, and to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament. And that gets us to our passage from Matthew. Matthew 5 is the beginning of what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a series of teachings 
on various subjects and topics, but all with the focus on how to live and how to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, that's a big phrase, kingdom of God. But it speaks of God's reign over all of creation, including heaven and earth. And so if we claim the name Christian and we, are, we claim to be followers of Christ, then we are citizens of God's kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount and really most of Christ's teachings help us to understand how to live as citizens of God's kingdom. But in this sermon, Jesus sort of switches gears for a moment, particularly in our passage, verses 17 through 19 of chapter 5. He goes from talking about us being salt and light to saying these words. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Though Jesus was introducing new teachings and, and new interpretations of old teachings, he wanted his listeners, readers, you and me, to understand that he wasn't throwing out the law and he wasn't throwing out the prophets. We've just spent four weeks going over the Old Testament, talking about its importance to us and what it tells us about God and our relationship with God. Jesus wants to make it clear that he's not abolishing the Old Testament. He is fulfilling the Old Testament. When we read the Gospels, when you open up your, your Bible and, and you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to read it with the hope of the Old Testament in your mind. Throughout the Old Testament, God has, has promised to be with his people, to be with us. He goes over leaps and bounds to rescue and to save his people. God has given the law. He's, he's, he's sent judges and kings. He's sent prophets. God even sent his people into exile to get their attention. And what the gospel writers want us to see and what Jesus wants to be clear is that Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. He is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. He is our rescuer. He is our bridge between us and God. You see, there was, from the very beginning of time, an impassable object that was between us and God. And that impassable object it's called sin. We are all born with it. And there is sin and there are sins. Say what? There are sin, there is sin, and there are sins. Sin is that which we are born with. It is this uh, condition, inclination, this bent towards disobedience, towards God. You know, there's a reason why a child's first word is often no. We're born that way. Sins, plural, are the manifestation of sin. Sins are the acts we commit out of our sin. 
Sins are the fruit of our sin. Gossip, lying, impure thoughts, pride, stealing, gluttony, lust. I mean, all the headline sins that we know about. Sins are the behavior, the acts. Sin is the condition. Sin was, for the longest time, for most of history, that impassable object between us and God. The law, the commandments, served as a temporary bridge over that impassable object. The prophets served as a temporary bridge over that impassable object. Finally, what we read in the Gospels is that God sent his very self, Jesus, into the world to live and to die and to live again, to serve as a permanent bridge between us and God over that impassable object called sin. You see, Jesus came and he lived that holy and perfect life that the law and the prophets spoke about. So that his death and his sacrifice on the cross serves as a payment for all of our sin. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill it. And none of the Old Testament, none of the law, none of the prophets will go away until everything has been accomplished. You know when that moment is? Scripture says when everything is accomplished. Do you know when that moment is? That moment is the moment when Christ comes back and God established his, his kingdom here on earth. You see, when Christ comes back and God establishes his kingdom on earth, we won't need the law or the prophets. The word himself, Jesus, will be with us. We will all be transformed. We will be made perfect in the eyes of God. We won't need the Old or the New Testament because the word himself will be with us. Until then... It all remains. There's a movement that is new yet old of leaders, preachers, pastors wanting to remove part of the Old Testament to say, hey, you know, we don't need the Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us anymore. Jesus says not a bit of it goes away until all is accomplished and all is not accomplished until Christ comes back and God's kingdom is made on this earth. As 2 Timothy tells us, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of it is necessary. Going back to that idea of going over a bridge, do you ever uh, play that game? The game where you're all in a car, you got multiple people in it, hopefully the driver doesn't participate. But right before you're going over the bridge, you take a deep breath. Everybody in the car takes a deep breath, and you see who can hold their breath all the way across the bridge. Now, hopefully it's a short bridge. Hopefully it's a short bridge. Hopefully nobody passes out. 
but you try to hold your breath all the way across the bridge. Guess what? Stop holding your breath. Jesus has come. The bridge has come. And Jesus is willing and ready to take you over that impassable object called sin. He no longer wants you to live a life on your own and for your own. He wants to free you from your sin in order that you live a life that is fulfilling and abundant and is for God. Stop holding your breath. Stop trying to get over that impassable object on your own. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. But nothing is impossible for Christ. Salvation is possible with Christ. New life is possible in Christ. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that while we were all still stuck in our sin, Christ gave his life for us. Christ died for us. Christ paid the penalty for our sin, a debt that we owed, yet Christ paid. Father, we thank you for the bridge that is Christ. We thank you for helping us get over that in, impassable object of sin. Father, help us to realize that. Help us to, to remember that we can't get good enough before coming to you. We simply need to come face to face with our own mortality, our own sin, our own disobedience, and understand that you have bestowed upon us grace upon grace, grace that is greater than our sin. But you've done it through Jesus. Father, help us to humbly fall on our faces and on our knees and accept what Christ has done for each and every one of us. We ask all these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.